InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Despite today's multi-billion dollar diversity industry, our next guest says workplace inequality is still very real. We welcome Adia Harvey Wingfield to InfoTrack. She is a sociologist, professor at Washington University in St. Louis, and author of Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix It. Adia, can you elaborate on what you mean by gray areas in the workplace? Sure. When I talk about gray areas, I'm talking about the parts of work that may not necessarily be embedded in our jobs, but are still really relevant for how we work and how we move ahead. So, for example, I'm a college professor. My job is to research and teach and to do service. But there are other parts that are associated with my work, too, and those have to do with my connections that help me to find the jobs that I have had. They relate to the organizational culture in the jobs where I have been employed. And there's the relational parts of work that relate to the advancement, my opportunities to move ahead in my job. And so those social dynamics, those cultural parts of work, the relationships that we have, those are the gray areas where I argue that we see opportunities for racial inequality to be perpetuated in ways that continue to limit black workers. Your research involved interviews with hundreds of black professionals. Were there any overarching themes or patterns that stood out in their shared experiences? Yes, some of the overarching themes that I note had to do with the ways in which black workers were often less likely to be able to rely on social networks to move into certain jobs and the challenges that they faced in organizational cultures that consistently relied on more of a colorblind approach in ways that made companies very unable to see the challenges and deal with the challenges that black workers faced. So I'll give you a quick example. There was Kevin, who I spoke to, who worked at a nonprofit that was focused on educational improvement. And while the nonprofit had a culture of collaboration and working together, they also were colorblind in ways that meant that it was really difficult for them to listen to Kevin when he tried to point out patterns and how black families often were negatively treated in that space. They were just no language for people at the company to understand and deal with and try to rectify that issue. Can you talk about the disparity in authority recognition, even when black workers hold high status jobs? Sure. One of the things that I learned from this project was that for black workers in high status jobs, that status often does not communicate the authority and respect that one might think it does. So, for example, Max is an emergency medicine doctor that I profiled for the study. And you might think that as a doctor, he's got it made. He's in this high ranking job and he's got the status associated with being a physician. But he still, even with that title and that status, encountered patients who would tell him point blank, I'm not going to let you treat me and I'll sue you if you don't get me a white doctor. So just being in that position of being a doctor and having the associated status that comes with that did not protect black workers from slights and insults like that. Hmm. Many companies rely on what I think you would call outdated strategies to deal with racial disparities. What modern effective strategies would you recommend they use? Yeah, that's a great question, because there are things that evidence shows us actually do work to address some of these issues. For one thing, companies can diversify the way that they think about hiring. If we know that most people find jobs through their connections and their social networks, one thing that companies can do is to reach out of the networks that they already have. And hiring managers can make it a point to visit historically black colleges and universities because data has shown that when they do, they are often exposed to a wealth of new talent, new ideas, new eager, hungry young people that otherwise aren't in their networks and they wouldn't know about. 
Similarly, companies can think about instituting mentoring programs for all instead of just letting mentoring happen organically or people picking and choosing who gets to be involved in a mentoring program. And people might think, well, why can't mentoring just happen the way that it happens? Why can't you just organically form mentoring? Well, again, the data shows that when that happens, Black workers are more likely to be left out of those relationships. But when there is a formal mentoring program that anyone has access to, then Black workers are more likely to sign up and they are more likely to be matched with people who then are willing to go to bat for them. Our guest is Adia Harvey Wingfield. Her book is Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix It. You've spent a decade researching this topic. Have you seen the landscape evolve for black workers in the United States? You know, it's interesting. I don't think that it's necessarily evolved in a linear pattern. So, for example, a few years ago in 2020, we were in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, and we saw many companies pledging their support for eradicating systemic racism and devoting resources to that end. Now, just three years later, we're certainly not in that same cultural space anymore. And we're seeing legal decisions that challenge the legitimacy of affirmative action and many companies retreating as a result. So I think it's hard to make a case that we're seeing consistent forward progress and more so that we are seeing two steps forward and one step back when it comes to these issues of race in the workplace. Bosses tend to deal with mutual connections for job referrals and they often exclude black applicants. How could that be restructured to be more inclusive? Well, particularly when it comes to looking for potential new workers, the initiatives around reaching out to people who were at historically black colleges and universities is really critical. Another thing that companies can do is to democratize these efforts to make referrals so that when black workers are in companies, they can also refer people who might potentially be colleagues. Again, the data has shown that these are steps that actually serve to offset some of the inherent homogeneity in our hiring processes, particularly given that hiring does rely so heavily on references and relationships with people that we already know. Why do you believe that mandated diversity training doesn't really work very well? Yeah, that might be surprising because diversity training is so commonplace. But data also shows that when it is mandated, it does not really succeed. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that mandated diversity trainings often make white workers feel resentful. They feel as if they are being blamed and they feel as if they are being held responsible for racial issues that they may not necessarily feel as if they are a part of. And so it makes them often shut down and not want to be part of thinking about solutions. And perhaps counterintuitively, I've also found that for Black workers, diversity trainings that are mandated don't do much. They feel as if it's more of an effort for organizations to show that they are in compliance with legal regulations than it is an effort for organizations to address the types of issues that really affect them, like I try to talk about in gray areas. So on both counts, these types of initiatives don't really strike a chord with Black or white workers, and they ultimately, as the data show, do not lead to a higher number of Black workers represented in leadership or managerial roles. In light of the current demographic changes happening in our country, what are the long-term implications if gray areas are not addressed? To me, that's one of the big concerns in writing the book. Our demographics in the U.S. are changing. We are becoming an increasingly more diverse and multiracial society. And it's just hard for me to see how a modern democracy continues along that front if we know that workers of color in particular and black workers specifically continue to be marginalized and face additional obstacles in moving into the workforce. Ultimately, what I think we're left with are work environments and workforces that do not look like the broader population of America. And I just don't see how that is a recipe for success when the companies where we work are so disconnected from the populations that they serve. 
Adia, what message do you hope that readers take away from your work? I hope that readers come away with a better and more precise understanding of how these racial inequalities persist and how 50 plus years after the Civil Rights Act and in the midst of a multi-billion dollar diversity industry, we still have so little racial diversity present in our workplaces. But I also hope readers come away with some ideas for things that they can do. And I've included some checklists in the book and suggestions for readers about things that they can do in their workplaces to try to address these issues. So I hope that both of those things are takeaways. What do you think of the media's push for diversity in terms of casting and presenters, you know, on camera? Is that helping or is it not making much of a difference? Well, it depends. And I think there are two questions to be asked when it comes to these issues of diversity, because we want to not only make sure that workplaces reflect representative diversity, but also that once people move into organizations, they are able to feel as if they're fully welcome and that their experiences are recognized and part of the organizational fabric. So I think if companies are just pushing for diversity in terms of numbers, they might get that, but they won't necessarily see that last unless they also are thinking about how those who they have brought in are able to fully enmesh into the organization. Adia Harvey Wingfield, author of Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix It. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. Next, how parents can help their teenagers manage their emotions. That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 